to say just a special welcome to you. If you're a guest here with us, um, so great to have you here. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. also want to welcome those that are watching online. We are so glad that you were able to tune in. You know, our, really, our prayer for everybody, um, wherever you're watching from this morning, is that we would just encounter Jesus Christ today, that you would encounter the goodness and really the greatness of our God. Um, if you're newer to Brookside, uh, we began a, a special journey together about 11 months ago, and uh, it's just been a blast of a journey. About 11 months ago, uh, God opened a door for us to be able to purchase a building in Elkhorn, and so we've been preparing for that, and we entered right into a season, right after we purchased that building, we entered into a season where we asked our church, we said, would you pray this prayer that's straight out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 20 and 21, and let me, let me read this to you. So we asked the church, would you, would you pray this prayer? And the prayer ends like this. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what our goal was is we said, church, what would happen if we began to pray, God, you can do immeasurably more, God, we believe that to be true. And so Lord, we're just going to lean into that. And so during that season, then we saw people give not only joyfully, but we saw a whole lot of people give sacrificially so that we could renovate this campus and really get it up and running and, and ready to go. From there then, Brad Zook began to form a launch team, a great team of volunteers, and we recruited some fantastic staff, and they're now ready to go. And so it is an honor and really a privilege for us, isn't it, church, to be able to welcome this morning for the very first time our Elkhorn campus. Let's welcome them here this morning. Yeah. They can see you. Awesome. Awesome. You may be seated. Well, Brad and your staff team and just our phenomenal volunteers out there, we are cheering for you. We love you. We're proud of you. And we cannot wait to see what God is going to do through this part of his local church, God's local church, and this part of our city. And so we're thrilled this morning. You know, uh, last weekend what we did was we had a, what we called a soft launch where we really tested everything out in Elkhorn just to make sure that things were working, technology and all of those things. And and so before the service, though, here at our Millard campus, I was behind stage, backstage, and, and I was walking down the hallway, and I was, I was looking for this stand that I put my notes on. And when I came to the stand, it had this note on it. It says this. It says, step into the miracle. And this was a note, actually, that my daughter wrote me about a year ago. Um, her and I were having a conversation <clears throat> about, hey, what do you do when you're afraid? Uh, what do you do when you go through times where you're not sure what you should do? You sense God's moving you in a certain direction, but you're not completely positive. What do you do in those times when you think as though God is asking you actually to take a risk that's really going to put yourself out there, and you're really going to have to depend on God in a big way? We all face things like this. Personally, we face them maybe professionally as well. We all go through times like this. It's the times like this. It's the times when it's when you know who God is, and you can trust the character of God, but you don't quite know what the future is. And it's in those times where you have to put who you know of God to be above, actually, what you don't know about the future. You know what I'm talking about? And so her and I are talking about this, and, and, and this statement just came to mind. I said, you know, in these times, Ashton, when, and she was dealing with some fears, and I was dealing with some of my own, and I said, it's during these times we just have to step into our miracle. It's, we've got to step into the zone where we just say, God, if you don't come through, we're going to know. So God, we really need you to come through. 
It's those times where you say, God, we're going to trust you. And maybe you're in a situation right now, right now for you, this is, this is right where you're at, where you just have to say, God, I'm boldly depending on you. I'm stepping into the miracle of the God zone. And so after her and I had that conversation again about a year ago, I got up the next morning to come here that Sunday morning, and, and there was this note. She had written it right there, and she had placed it on my stuff, and so I grabbed it as I, was, as I was leaving. And I must have dropped it because I had it in my Bible now for this almost a year now, and I must have dropped it sometime in the last couple of weeks because somebody found it, then put it on this stand, and I thought that it was so timely because what she was saying to me a year ago was this. She was saying, Dad, step into the miracle. Dad, don't, don't play it safe. Dad, don't be just a safe leader. Don't, don't be a part of a church that just kind of stands on the sidelines and just waits and is cozy and comfortable. No, no, step into the miracle. Oh, what does it look like to push the bounds? What might God, might God want to do? And I wanted to share this with you this morning because I thought it was so timely that I, as I grabbed this stand last Sunday morning, there was that note. And I want to share that with you. I wanted to mention that to you this morning because I want to say a huge thank you, church, because you all have stepped into the miracle this last year. We asked you to dream about things. We asked you to pray about things that were beyond what we could ask or imagine. We asked you to trust God for things that we weren't sure exactly how they would go. But we said, would you pray big prayers? Would we be the kind of church that we lean forward and we say, God, if you don't come through, we're boldly depending on you. We're asking that you will. We trust that you will. But God, we're going to wait for you. We're going to live in faith. And I just want to say, church, thank you. Because not only have you done that, but you've done it joyfully and you've done it sacrificially, and that's evident this morning. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Thank you for being that kind of a church. It's an honor to be a part of this church. Now, before we dive in, I also want to welcome that those who are watching this morning from our Correctional Center campus in Mod 7. We want you all to know that we are for you as well this morning, and that we know that you're watching, and that we're glad that you've joined us. So actually, let's welcome them here with us today as well. I want to share this with you. I was walking just here in our Miller campus down the hallway after second service uh, last weekend, and I met a young man, and uh, it was his first Sunday here at this campus. But he had attended Brookside uh, before, two weeks before that, at our Correctional Center campus in Mod 7. So he's incarcerated there. God touches his life, and then he shows up here. And I got to tell you, everybody, that's why we do what we do, Right? I mean, that's why we do what we do, because whether it's in Elkhorn or whether it's in Millard or whether it's at the Correctional Center campus or whether it's going to be in Papillion or Bellevue or who knows wherever next, why do we do what we do? We do what we do. Why? Because all people matter to God and because we want to help every single person find and follow Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. I couldn't tell you the amount of joy I felt when I shook, shook that uh, young man's hand. And so again, church, thank you. And I've got to tell you, I think we should, it's probably appropriate just for us to hit time out here and just say, we need just to stop, pause, and thank our God, right? You with me? And just say, God, thank you for what you're doing. God, we, we don't deserve it, but boy, we sure are glad to be a part of it. So why don't you pray with me, and then we'll, we'll really jump in this morning. So yeah, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, you really are the great God. You are the immeasurably more God. You're the kind of God that we can come to with our smallest problems, with our greatest challenges, with our greatest hopes and dreams. And so, Lord, we do that this morning. I pray that you would meet every single person right where they're at this morning. God, it's a privilege for us to think about Elkhorn today here from Millard, from the Correctional Center. 
And for us, Lord, we want to pray for them. We want to pray for that church, God, that that expression of this church, that that campus would do such great things for you. Lord, thank you for where it's located. Father, we also pray a blessing this morning on the other life-giving churches in that area. Father, would you pour out your grace and your mercy and your favor on them? Would you multiply their efforts, Lord? And Father, we love you. We commit that to you today. And now, Lord, in these next moments, we simply pray this prayer. Everyone, wherever you are, would you pray this prayer now? Lord, would you speak to me this morning? I'm listening, Lord. Lord, would you speak to me this morning? And then, Lord, after you answer that prayer, which you always do for us, we pray that you would then give us the courage to respond. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're beginning a new series, and I love the title of this series. It's called Be Remarkable. Let me ask you a question right out of the gate. Do you know any person or organization or, or maybe a company that you've interacted with over the years that you would say of them or even maybe of a product, you would say, that's remarkable? Do you have anything like that in your life where you just, boy, when you interacted with that person again or that company or organization, you walked away and you thought, wow, that was a remarkable experience. If you say that of someone or something, that's a top shelf compliment. In this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about five values that if they drive your life, I really believe that someone will look at your life later on and they'll say something like this, she was remarkable. Wow, she left a legacy. She cared about things that, that truly mattered most. Oh, he was the kind of guy, he was remarkable. Uh, he did things that, that, that really made him stand apart. He cared about things that most people kind of skip over. Oh, that church, that church, that church is remarkable. That church had on their mind, not superficial things, but the things that matter the most. If you embrace these five things, I really believe that you'll walk away someday, or maybe it would be said of your life, you lived a remarkable life. And so I love this series because we're going to go right to God's word, and we're going to open it up, and we're going to look at five values. And everybody, these are five values that we long to define Brookside Church. These are our five core values. And we long for them to not only define our church collectively, but we also long for them to define Brooksiders, that anyone that would say, yeah, that's my church, that, that we would say, oh, we hope these five things are true of you. So to, so to discover these, turn with me. If you've got a Bible, open it up or click there if you need to. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. We're going to look at 12 verses, very impactful verses. Let me share the first value that we're going to look at this morning. We, we say it like this around here. Here it is. All people matter to God. All people matter to God. And, and, and then we, we support it this way. We say all people matter to God, so, so this is what this means for us. It means that everyone deserves dignity, everyone has purpose, and everyone is welcome. All people matter to God. And so everyone, what do they do? They deserve dignity. Everyone has purpose, and everyone is welcome. It's a statement we want to drive us. Let me give you some context for Luke chapter 10. Jesus is actually speaking in this passage, and, and I don't know about you, but whenever I'm reading through the scriptures and, and I come across this section where it's the words of Jesus, if you're newer to the Bible and you have a Bible in front of you, lots of times it's in red, and when we come to red in our Bible, we say, whoa, whoa, this is important. Our ears perk up a little bit, and we say, okay, Jesus is the one teaching this. It's so important, and you're going to see him. He's so masterful in the way that he taught. He told these stories all the time, and they drove home such meaningful points. This morning, you're going to find out that this 
story that he tells. It applies to everybody, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're very church or whether you're completely unchurched. You got invited here this morning, maybe for the very first time you're in a church even. You're going to find some things out this morning about the character of God. But you're also going to find out how the character of God longs to shape our character. This is the kind of passage that's about who we are. It, it definitely impacts what we do, but it's really a core passage about who we are as people, character, heart level kinds of things. A well-accomplished Christian leader and author was recently asked this question, <clears throat> and he's in his 60s now. He was asked this question, what are you going to be doing for the next 20 years? And instead of saying, well, I'm going to write two or three more books, and I'm going to speak around the world, and, and I'm going to continue to lead this and lead that, and, you know, mentor, da-da-da, instead of saying anything like that, I loved his response. He said this. He said, I'm going to focus on who I'm becoming. What I love about this passage, church, is this passage is going to drive us to focus on who we are. What kind of people, as Brooksiders, are we becoming? And so it says this in Luke chapter 10. Let's start in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, and no, know this, there were probably many occasions actually when this happened. So on one occasion, an expert in the law, so, so this was referred to actually a, a lot of times as a lawyer. There's someone who was an expert though in the law, meaning that they understood the Old Testament scriptures, meaning that they, they knew their Old Testament pretty well. So on one occasion, this expert in the law, he stood up to test Jesus, which doesn't that seem like a bad idea right away, <laughs> you know? I mean, who are you going to test? Oh, I think I'll, I'll stump. I think I'll test the, the one that's healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. I think I'll test the one that's raising the dead. That seems like a bad idea right away, doesn't it? But that's what he does. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And this is public, by the way. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's be clear. This is a great question. Whoa, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You might be asking that question here this morning. It's a great question for you to ask. But this religious leader not only knew the answer to that question likely, but he also had a question behind the question. Again, remember, he's trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to trap him. And so what he's doing, he's got a question behind the question, and what he's hoping is this, Jesus, I hope you'll say this so that you'll let me know how I can get off the hook at what I really think the answer is to your question. What does Jesus do? Look at the text. He asks the man a question back, verse 26. What, expert in the law, what is written in the law? He replied, I know you're an expert. And then he said this, how do you, expert, how do you read it, Jesus says. Now, from there, the expert in the law answers his question, and he does so by quoting, actually, an Old Testament passage. And it wasn't just any old Old Testament passage. When the expert in the law quotes the Old Testament now, he's quoting a passage of Scripture that a whole lot of Jewish people would have known. Any child, actually, growing up in a Jewish home would have had these words memorized that this expert in law is about to say. It was very common. People knew the answer to this question. And the reason why they knew it was this. If you were raising a child in a Jewish home and you said, hey, do you want to honor God with your, your, your life, little Johnny? Okay, then here's what you need to do. And then they would have quoted this verse. Okay, as an adult, how do I please God with my life? How do I do that? Okay, here's how I do that. And they would have quoted verse 27. Here it is. He said, here's the quote. Here's what you need to do. You need to love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And so he's describing right away, this is so important, he's getting it right. He's describing this vertical relationship. So if you want to please God with your life, okay, there's a vertical relationship. I love God because why? Because he's worthy of my love. All of my heart, soul, mind, strength, all of that. But then he goes on. He begins to describe the horizontal relationship too. In that if I'm in love with my God vertically, then horizontally, I'm going to think about and care about people in a whole new way. So he says this. He says, and, key word, love your neighbor as yourself. To which verse 28, Jesus says this. You have answered correctly. Not only did you get the first part right, expert in the law, But you got the second part right. I thought you might leave that part out. But you got that part as well. So you get it, expert in the law. Church, you get it. If you want to please God, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you also, you you look laterally, horizontally. Okay, who is my neighbor and how do I love them well? So then he asks this question. It says, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Verse 29, it says, though, but he wanted to justify himself. So again, he's not done. So the expert in the law has the question now. Here it is, the question behind the question. Here's the test. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? He wasn't content with Jesus' answer, so he had to ask the next question. And what's really revealing here is this. It's what's going through the heart in the mind of this expert in the law. Because what he was really wanting to know is this. Jesus, I know that you're a passionate person. And Jesus, I know that your commands, while maybe they're not burdensome, they seem very lofty. And so Jesus, I just want to know, can you help me understand though, because I'm not quite where you are, can you help me know what is the minimum requirement of who I need to care for? Jesus, who exactly do I need to care for? Who exactly is included in this whole idea of my neighbor? Now, if you flip open your Bible to Leviticus chapter 19, and you begin to ask these questions, okay, who's my neighbor? It's very interesting. It's also very helpful. And it's helpful to know this. This Jewish man would have known these texts. This Jewish man would have understood what the Old Testament said about who your neighbor is. And so Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says this. It gives a definition. This is who your neighbor is. It says it's someone among your own people, which would be very good news to this Jewish man. Because what the scriptures are saying then is, hey, Jewish man, your neighbor is your Jewish friends. Your neighbor is actually people that talk a lot like you, that look a lot like you, that have the same ideals as you, that go to the same place of worship as you. That's, that, that's your neighbor in, in, in so many senses. But if you keep reading in Leviticus chapter 19, everybody, and you get to verses 33 and 34, this was the part that this guy was completely ignoring, or at least he wanted to. And it says very clearly in those verses that you know who your neighbor is, Brookside? You know who your neighbor is, expert in the law? It's everyone. Everyone. Every color, every race, every group, people that are like you, people that aren't like you, every single person. God was saying this, when you come across the person who is different from you, I want you to treat them like you treat yourself because I care about that person. That person matters to me, and so they should matter to you. From there, look what happens. Jesus tells perhaps the most paradigm-shifting story in the New Testament. Verse 30, 
In reply now, in reply it says to the, and this is in reply to what? In reply to the question, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus said this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now know this, this, that was a tough road, like still today. So if you have Jerusalem and then you have Jericho, if you travel that 17 miles, you lose 4,000 feet of elevation. It was not a place to take a family for a walk. It's a tough road. It was also a very dangerous road. So Jesus now, he's going into this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now at this point, the expert in the law has to be thinking this, Jesus, you're evading my question. I asked you who my neighbor is and now you feel like it's story time with Jesus. No, that's not my question. But Jesus is so masterful. He goes on, verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Everybody picture this. 17-mile road, very hilly, downhill, dangerous. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Keep that in mind. Verse 32, so too, you got a priest now, so too, a Levite. A Levite, well, what's a Levite? A Levite, in a sense, was like a JV priest. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, when he saw this man, he passed by on the other side. Now, don't miss the significance of the characters here. Think about what you have. You've got two religious men, two religious men that are walking by their Jewish neighbor who is bruised, who is bleeding, who has been left for dead, and what do they do? They're not even willing to lift a finger. Beyond that, they go out of their way to go by the man. They go to the other side of the street. And we don't know. We don't know if they thought in their minds, well, he deserves it. I mean, why was he traveling alone here on this dangerous road? Or, oh, maybe he sinned in his past and God's just, boom, smacking him for it. We don't know what they were thinking. The priest might have been thinking this. If I go over and I touch that man, I now will be ceremonially unclean, which means I'm going to have to hike it back up to Jerusalem to be purified. And you know what that is? That's called a big old inconvenience. We don't know. Maybe the Levite walked away and said, I'm really busy. I really don't have the margin to stop. I just got to keep going. So I'm going to walk across the street so that maybe he doesn't see me. I don't have to feel so bad. And I'll just keep going. We don't know. Now think about the mind, the, what's going through the mind of the people in the crowd. Because the crowd was looking at these two men, and they, the crowd was thinking about this story and processing all of this, and they knew, hey, these are two religious leaders. And if they knew their Old Testament, which they likely did, this Jewish audience, they would have known, hey, your neighbor is not just those that are like you, and these men actually are like him, but your neighbor goes much more beyond that. Your people is everyone. Why didn't they stop and at least meet the needs of someone that was a part of our clan? Why didn't they do that? Verse 33, it says, though, but a Samaritan, it's like the perfect setup Jesus could have made here. Because at this point, the crowd would have done this. Like head back, eyebrow raised. A what? Ew. That's what they would have thought. A who? Because in the first century, and you have to understand the context here, the relationship between a Jew and a Samaritan, it was not good. It was so distant. You can best summarize it with these words, institutionalized racism. 
Everybody knew there's boundaries between a Jew and a Samaritan, and you just don't cross the boundaries. You don't cross the boundaries. Your kids don't play together. You don't do business together. You don't interact together. You don't talk together. You don't eat together. You don't. There's separation here. And at the risk, though, of losing the crowd, Jesus makes this dramatic point. And he makes this dramatic point because, one, he's so incredibly wise, but, two, he knew if people, if you and I, if we would be able to grasp what he's saying, what he's setting up in this story, he knew it would be so incredibly influential in every one of our realms of life. Imagine, though, what the Jewish expert is thinking at this point. He's probably grinning from ear to ear. Because what he's going through, what's going through his mind is this. Jesus, if you make the Samaritan the hero in the story, I've got you right where I want you. Because this crowd won't buy it. There's no way this Jewish crowd is going to buy you making the Samaritan the hero in the story. There's absolutely no way. It was actually likely that when Jesus said the word Samaritan, everyone in the crowd thought that's the one who robbed the man and beat him and left him for dead. They had a category called Samaritans. And I just want to ask you a question this morning. Ask myself as well. I want you to take a minute and I want you to scroll through the people in your mind that are different from you. Just do it. Who are they? What what do they look like? How are they different from you? Where are they from? How are they like you? What about them as a category maybe that you put them in do you really not like? I think we all do this, don't we? Jesus is just—he's going completely against that, though. Look at verse thirty-three. It says, "But, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, imagine this again. I, I, I hope we can understand the depth of culturally what's happening here. Institutionalized racism playing majorly in effect here. But a Samaritan, whoa, as he traveled, he came where the man was." And when he saw him, what did he do? It says that he, he had pity on him. In other words, he responded the exact opposite way. And I just want to take a quick time out here. I just sensed a nudge from God this morning on this. And if this is for some of you here, I want you to know this. God meets the needs. God sees this man who is robbed. God's talking about his character. And I just thought there might be some of you that are here this morning, and you come in here honestly this morning, you haven't been maybe physically robbed, but you feel emotionally robbed, and you feel like you're kind of at a tough point in your life. And I just wanted to mention this to you at this point in the text. God sees you. This Samaritan man saw the man that was hurting. And I want you to know that God not only sees you, but he's for you. Your life is not absent from his. He understands what you're going through. He loves you deeply. Okay, that's a side note. Back to the Samaritan. Look what he does, everyone. Verse 34. It says that he went up to him and he bandaged his wounds. Now, we can't read over that uh, too quickly because what's happening here, I mean, think about this, everybody. That means that the Samaritan is going up and he's going to nurse this guy back to health. He's helping him. Oh, and what does that mean? In order to help somebody with their wounds, what do you have to do to the wounds? You have to touch them. Again, culturally, they're going, oh, a Samaritan? Really, Jesus? Can we teach a little more? Nice. That's huge. It says that he bandaged them. What did he do then? It says that he poured his oil and wine on them. So now what is he doing? He's taking what he has. This is an investment now. 
and he's pouring out his investments. This Samaritan also know this. He had the courage that the Levite and the priest did not have. He had something that they didn't have. He tapped into something that he knew was right, and he was willing to respond, not to cross the street, but to stay right on course and to meet this man. He also had the margin in his life to be able to stop and meet the needs. And oh, I bet you he was blessed by it. It says, then he put the man, it keeps going, Jesus keeps piling it on. It says, then he put the man on his donkey. So imagine this, the Samaritan now, oh, not just touching the wounds, blah, blah. No, 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 I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to pick you all the way up. I'm going to put you on my donkey. And now what does this mean? It means that the Jew is doing what? Riding the donkey. And what is the Samaritan doing? He's walking beside him. It would have been a huge Huge statement to anyone seeing this or hearing this. And then it says he brought him to an end. More financial investment. And he took care of him. And Jesus, he's just driving home the point, though. He's not done, though. Look at verse 35. It says that the next day, now hold the phone. <laughs> because you know what this means? This means that this man spent the night with this other man. And he bandaged his wounds all night. And he nursed him back to health. These two groups that do not hang out together. No, this Samaritan, he helped him through the night. He kept him alive. And at this point, the audience would have gulped and thought, wow, Jesus, whew, little too much for me today. Little too much for me. It would have blown their minds. It says that he took him then to Denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, hey, look after him. And when I return, he's really piling it on, Jesus is. Saying, I'm not done with this guy yet. I'll be back. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Notice how much he's lavishing love on this man. Why? Because this man matters to God. And this guy has this ability to see beyond any barriers that we kind of can put up, whether they're in our city and in our nation or around the world. He's saying, no, 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 this is a person that's hurting. And so this person, what do they do? Well, they deserve dignity because they have purpose. And what else? Oh, they're very welcome to me, he's saying, with his actions. When Jesus does this, he's redefining for us this morning, everyone, what a neighbor is. Your neighbor, your people I understand that, Jesus, my people. I get what my people are. But Jesus, again, he blows that up and he says, okay, from the words of Jesus, he's saying, my people are all people. And so if all people matter to me, I want all people to matter to you. Because if all people matter to God and you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the outflow of that is you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, who's my neighbor? It's a great question. Your neighbor is everyone. So I got to chop down all of these Walls, your neighbor has nothing to do with race, location, language, or economics. No one person is more important than the other. Isn't that powerful? Wouldn't that change our world? It raises this question, I think, for us this morning. If all people matter to God, do all people matter to me? You know, you fast forward not too long after that Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 10. You watch the actions of Jesus and you watch his story unfold. And here we are now, 2,000 years later, we're still telling the story of Jesus. And why are we doing it? We're telling the story of Jesus because he looked at all of us. He looked at mankind and he said, there is no barrier I will not cross. There is no price that's too high for me to pay. And he crossed every single divide, not because any one of us deserved it or could earn it. No, 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 no. He just did it out of his love. Jesus was the Samaritan for us. I mean, think about that. 
Jesus was the Samaritan for us. And then he looks at us, his people, and he says things like this, Matthew 16. He says, hey, whoever loses his life for me, that's, that's when you're going to find it. In other words, if you'll follow my teachings, if you'll get so caught up in my teachings, if you'll lose your life in the same way I lost my life, and my life was evidence, I wasn't going to have any barriers in my life. Jesus said, if you could do that, if you'll pour yourself out like that for other people, that's where you're going to find your life. We see that true around here. When we begin to press into the purposes of God, we really live. Look at verse 36. He lands the plane with a question. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And this was not a trick question for this Jewish audience. They knew the answer, and the fact that they knew the answer so easily was what made it so convicting. Verse 37, the expert in the law replied. And to answer this question out loud in front of his Jewish friends and family and whatnot, it would have been no small deal. I bet, I would imagine he said these next words with a whole lot of humility. He answers this, the expert in the law replied, the one, saying Samaritan was too much. The one who had mercy on him. That's who was the neighbor to the man. And then Jesus told him, and he tells us, you want to be remarkable? You want to have a remarkable value drive your life? Jesus says, you go and you do likewise. You, you go and, and you be like the Samaritan. So this morning we asked this question, okay, okay, how do I become a a remarkable person. What does it look like for me to, to, to be a part of a remarkable church? What does it look like for me to have this value really breathe into my life that, okay, I don't have these walls and these barriers, but no, I, I look at everybody, and it doesn't matter your race or your location or your economics. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Why? Because you matter to God. And since you matter to God, that drives who I am. Everybody, just imagine this. If we did this in our homes, imagine if we did this in our city, in our country, in our world, for just a month, maybe just a day, I think we would hear about it on the news. It'd be that great, wouldn't it? We want this value to permeate us as a church. All people matter to God. And so what does that mean? That means that everybody, what do they do? They deserve dignity because they have purpose, and so that makes them welcome here. We want, it, we want this value to permeate us. This is why we celebrate this morning. Two years the care center has been open. Everybody think about that. It served over 1,800 kids. We have 3,000 kids in the foster care system in our city. That means that there are 3,000 kids right now in our city that don't know where they're going to spend the night a week from now, maybe a day from now. But you know what? They matter to you. Why do they matter to you, church? They matter to you because they matter to God. This is why we count it an absolute privilege to be down at the Correctional Center campus. You know why? Because we know Jesus said it very clearly in his word. He said, these people matter to me. They're down on their luck. Their back's against the wall. But they have such great hope. And so they matter to me. So they matter to us. 
This is why as a church, we long to be the kind of church that we continue to grow in our diversity as a church. This is why next year, we can't wait till Juan Santos gets here in January and we begin to lean into and then later that year launch our bilingual service. Why? Because all people matter to God. All people matter to God. And so Jesus says to Christians like you and I, many of whom are, and he says this, I want you to look at people not just as a category, get rid of your category as best you can, pray against your category, but just simply say this, Lord, would your people matter to me like they matter to you? Brookside, I want to commend you because you do this in so many ways so well. People matter to you as a church. I think it's one of the greatest things God is doing here. It's an absolute privilege. I was challenged this week by this question. If I thought like the Samaritan, who would I see? If I thought like the Samaritan, who would I see? Very practically, I want you to ask this question this week. Here it is. How can I do what's best for you because God has done what's best for me? I don't think we should miss the significance of Jesus talked about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength first, and then the outflow of that was love your neighbor as yourself. And so how can I do what's best for you? Who's my you? Who's my neighbor? That's everybody. How can I do what's best for everybody in my life? How can I begin to walk across some bridges that I wasn't able to walk across before? How can I approach someone that I wasn't willing to before and think, how can I do what's best for you? Why? Oh, because my gracious God has done what's best for me. He was the good Samaritan to us. And so I want to pray for us this morning. And and maybe it's a person in your mind that you think, God, would you lead me to have that conversation this week? Lord, would you lead me to think differently and, and break down a category with this group maybe? I don't know what it is for you and for me. But let's pray and let's say, God, would you help us be a kind of people that it would be said of us, oh, they value this. All people matter to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this example in the scriptures. And Lord, we do, we long to be a church. We long to continue to be a church where all people matter to us. Why? Because they, because they matter to you. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would give us so much grace in this area. God, I thank you for the things that you're doing around here, how this value, I think, in many ways is driving us as a church. And we pray, Lord, we want to continue to allow this to drive us. Lord, who would you long for us to see in the next 12 months? Lord, who would you long for us to begin to reach out to? Who would you long for us individually and as a church family to be able to say, I will be the good Samaritan to that person, to that people group? Lord, we love you. Father, thank you for your church. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.